Hey, I'm Serge. And I'm Peter. And we're with the Future Break Podcast, where we talk about emerging technology, human behavior, and what this means for the future. Find out how Russia is using technology to suppress free speech. And how a school without teachers or tuition is changing the future of education. You can find our show on your favorite podcast player or by going to futurebreak.net. You are now entering the Podglomerate. The last thing I want to do is for anybody to fall into like a magazine voice or like a certain mode of speaking. I want it to feel like you are telling me a story as you would tell it to me if I'm sitting in front of you. Welcome to Redison Alright. I'm Jeff. And I'm Kyle, and I'm sick. You, you always have something weird going on when we start the show. It's like you're tired or you're sick or you, you don't want to be there. I think Tuesdays at 9.30 to 10.30 p.m. is the low point of my entire week. We're coming off Monday. Also, today's the first day it really felt like winter, even though it's still supposed to be fall. I'm running a marathon in five days, and I really hope that we have nice weather for that. Everyone should go see Jeff's uh, Big Ugly Mug around the New York City Marathon this weekend. Who are you running from, Jeff? I don't know, but I literally have like a giant blow-up of my face that I will be running with. Oh, boy. Look for the bearded man who's sweating tears. I, you know, I want to say that this, this episode is, is really fun, and it's... I, I mean, I just finished cutting it, so I'm a little bit biased, but uh, it's slowly becoming one of my favorites because it kind of turns into like a therapy session for all parties involved, um, which... You know, admittedly, I've never done, and it was kind of nice. So thank you, uh, Amy, Amy Rose Spiegel, who's the guest, for giving Jeff his first taste of what I'm sure is nothing like therapy. Yeah, <laughs> probably accurate. Uh, Amy Rose Spiegel, if you have never heard of her, is a very talented writer who uh, came up through the ranks at Rookie, uh, BuzzFeed, uh, and is now the editor-in-chief of Talk House Music, which is uh, an online magazine. I think it's just online. I don't. I don't think it's print. Uh, where musicians write about, you know, other musicians and artists. Uh, she also is the author of a book called Action, a book about sex. And she is written for The Guardian, Vice, all over the place. Um, you know, just generally speaking, she's just like a, a really bright soul, very talented writer and uh, a great conversationalist. Um, and at the risk of spoiling nothing, because I really would like it if you listen to all of this, dear listener, uh, I think we should just get right to the show. All right, so let's get into it. So welcome, Amy Rose. How you doing? I'm really well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So I think I was telling you before that we, we bring people onto the show uh, to talk about, you know, the stories that they always struggled to tell. Uh and also we use like the guests that we admire as inspiration for Kyle and I, and hopefully for all of our listeners. Um, and, and you asked us an interesting question, so I'll, I'll let you have at it. Right. I mean, Jeff and Kyle, I wanted you to just make me feel more comfortable by letting me know what the story is that you couldn't tell where. How did this conversation kick off between uh, you? Uh, what were those <laughs> topics? You know, you, you just shifted very smoothly uh, into the position of interviewer. Uh, that's what I want most most days. It's a natural fit. I think in terms of the story that I told, I I think I copped out 
but I did tell a story that I've never told anyone. It, it was the biggest cop out I've ever heard. <laughs> he, he he told me about like how. So so just to clarify, you know, the reason that we started the show is because uh, we we had all these like random stories that we wanted to write. Me in particular about like ex girlfriends and, and relationships that I had had uh, that I was just like more embarrassed than anything about sharing because I didn't want them to to read these things later on. Uh, I wish that I had just done it, but then this would not have been birthed. So that was cool. But but when we when we started the show though, uh, Kyle and I sat down in a room and we interviewed each other about the one story that we would always struggle to tell. And, and Kyle told me about like dropping a piece of pizza on the floor and like not telling his mom. It, it was a dumb story. Oh, it was actually the you story are not a good first... friend. It was a dumb story. <laughs> it was the worst. <laughs> I think Jeff sort of missed the significance. The point of the story was it's the first time I distinctly remember lying to my parents. And the the sort of realization was that, you know, I feel like you spend most of early childhood or at least the part that I can remember clearly thinking your parents are infallible and know exactly what they're doing and know everything all the time. Uh, and that was the first time, like lying to them about that uh, was the first time I realized, hey, maybe they don't know everything they can't see it all all the time and they're kind of just taking my word for it on most things so that's why it was a a distinct story that stood out uh so did you start lying a lot after that you know what i don't i i wouldn't trace it directly to that i guess causation is not causality is that how that goes uh no that's not right um, there is a definite relationship. I don't know if it was the cause, but it was definitely the beginning of my memory of lying. Okay. It's as Oscar Wilde would say, the decay of lying. If we're going to yes. be, so if I'm going to be on a writing podcast, I can, you know, do the insufferable Ooh, thing so. of talking about Oscar Wilde, right? This right. is, this is the safest place for that. Yeah, drop, Thank you. drop all of your literary knowledge. We want to hear it. Well, so Amiro, so what, what do you write? You know, where do you write? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. We're not just going to gloss over the, the story that you told, are we? Are we do you Ooh, yeah. No, I was going to yeah. say the same thing here. Um, um, Jeff, I, I mean, come on. Do... <laughs> oh, I see that we are. Oh, Carl's is a really dumb story, but now you won't tell yours. Got it, got it. You can't see this, but his face is so red. Okay, Jeff, let's hear it. I mean, that particular instance, I, I believe, and, and this is... Not something that I want to do right now, but but I will because, you know. Um, so I think the story I told that particular day is about uh, a condition that I have called trichotillomania. Oh, I have it too. Do you? Yeah, I'm, I've been pulling my hair the whole time we've been talking. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, so it, that is, uh, I mean, as you just said, basically, you know, whenever I'm stressed out or, you know, something's going on. I will basically just like pull at my hair. Sometimes I pull it out. Sometimes I just play with it. But over the years, like there's been some very noticeable, like, you know, patches and, and various instances where like it becomes really clear that like, I, I don't know, people say like I'm pulling my hair out. Like I think this is where it comes from. And I like very pointedly avoid talking about it always. Yeah. So. No, I get that. I mean, um, not to talk to you about it now, even though you've just said you want to avoid it. <laughs> what I did for an entire summer was wear, like, this one really dope baseball cap <laughs> um, and, like, act like it was, like, a stylistic choice. But, like, what I wanted to do was, like, stop myself. And I also got hair extensions about this. Because when you have hair extensions and you're, like, a glamorous and beautiful lady, 
then like your hair is tied up. You can't do it. Yeah. I mean, so I, I've, I've, you know, done the baseball hat thing. Like I've tried putting tape on my fingers, like, you know, I've done it all and it tape it, on your fingers. Yeah. Cause then you can't do it. Huh? But then, I mean, it, it lasts for like a month and then I'll just go right back to it. Like, you know, it's, it's 100% related to how stressed I am at that moment. So like if work is busy or if I have like a bad relationship or something, then I'll just do more of it and then it becomes noticeable. And, and it's like a snow, like the snowball effect, you know, it just keeps. Quick question. Quick question. When are those things not true? Like that's, uh, work is busy or I have a bad relationship. Like, I don't know. You're going to get one or the other, I think, if you're like a writer living in New York a little bit. No, I know. And, you know, that's why it is a very prevalent thing in my life. Um, But (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Because now mine is also about like a condizione. You guys should try what I did. And that's uh, just go bald. Oh, tight, 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 tight. Uh, We're working on it. I don't mean like a choice where uh, I shave my head. I mean, like all my hair just up and fell out on its own. I mean, it's so funny that you guys are saying this right now because my best friend Julianne is actually here with me. And because of this thing, like I got these hair extensions. I looked like a glamorous cartoon horse for a year. It was great. But when I took them out, my hair was more uneven than ever because it was damaged. And so I was like, Julianne, I'm doing this podcast. You're hanging out. We're writing on the because she's a really wonderful editor and writer. She works for Jezebel. But I was like, will you cut my hair while I'm doing this with them? Like, will you, like, even out the back a little bit? But then we... You're getting getting a haircut right now? No, I was going to, but we can only find kid scissors, so we have to postpone (laughs) it. Um, So I was going to, but now we're just talking about hair instead of cutting it. I was going to say that would be such high-level multitasking. Oh, dude, yeah, like, we're... I don't know. That's what a best friend is for, right? Yeah. No, I mean, on your part, like being able to remain still long enough to get a haircut while also talking. I'm a hand talker, which just kind of naturally moves the rest of my body. So I feel like I'd be the worst haircut receiver while doing a podcast. Are you Italian? No. Well, I don't know. Sort of. One of my grandfathers was adopted. Okay. Which grandfather? My father's grand, or my father's father. Well, so so Amy Rosa, our listeners might not be aware of your work. Um, so, do you want to give us like the capsule biography? Sure. So, my first book of nonfiction came out last year. It's called Action: A Book About Sex, and it is about marine life. Nope. It is about <laughs> things like gender and consent, about things like how to give a great blowjob, about things like how to be respectful. Um, to a person who is trans when you are trying to give consent to them. That was actually contributed by my friend Annie Mock, who should know. This book is not just essays, but how-tos, comics, strange art, weird glossaries. It's really good, and it has the best cover in the world, drawn by the artist and journalist Susie X. In addition to the book, I've edited for places like Rookie and BuzzFeed. Right now I'm an editor for TalkHouse, which is a site that has musicians write the only music reviews that appear on the site, as well as op-eds and criticisms, so it's great. Like, you'll have somebody like Mitski writing about Weezer. It's wonderful. Um, I sound like Donald Trump. But in any event, my writing has been at places like The Guardian, The Fader, The Enemy, Rolling Stone, Jezebel, any number of zones. But I mostly really like to write personal essays 
criticism and op-eds. That's mainly what I do. And that ranges from politics to music to gender to navel-gazing at writers through a site that I started called Enormous Eye, uh, which tracks writers as they go about a Saturday. So people will timestamp entries of like their whole entire day which is pretty great the, the most recent issue of that was actually um aaron edwards who kyle and i went to college yes. with and who was on the show uh i don't know a year ago maybe yeah no aaron is fantastic and i really appreciated his i appreciate it's hard to pick any kind of one that i appreciate over the other because they just make me like the writers so much more i wanted to cite that I mean, you have these brilliant brains doing such great criticism or they're writing novels or they're writing plays or poems like you. Um, and I just want to know what those brains are doing when they're not actively working on a piece. So that's where the idea for the site came from. Do you think that those, do you think that those, uh, those essays or the time stamped pieces are, are kind of like put through a lens? Through what lens? I, I don't know. I'm curious like how, how edited or polished they, they are by the time you get them. Well, the editorial memo that I send to people, I ask them to send them on Sunday night. So the structure is people record a Saturday. And they wake up on Saturday and they immediately start writing. Or they can start at midnight on that Saturday, technically. And then they write until either they go to bed or it's midnight on Sunday. And how... and. I ask they send them to me on Sunday nights so that they have time to spend with them because the editorial memo that I send is like, I'm not going to copy edit it just as I wouldn't copy edit your journal. But I do think that everybody has the right to architect their own personality. And I want people to be able to present themselves as they want. Um, so I'll get notes from people when they have volunteered to do it or when I ask people to do it that are like, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm not having like a particularly interesting Saturday. And I then reassure them that the quote-unquote boring ones are the ones that I end up liking the best because they're the most internal. Um, and they're the most, like, I, I like to hang out in people's brains. And I don't want someone to like be posturing with it. And I don't think I've ever read an essay for Enormous Eye that has come off that someone is posturing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, That's cool. I, I've only read a handful of them, I, I admit it, but what I have read is always super fascinating, and and it's it's similar to actually what we're doing here because you do get like a little bit of a, a little bit of insight into the brains of the people that you that you admire. Um, what was it like? Yeah, what was it like starting that? Cause it, I mean, it's something that you did for fun, uh, or, or is it for profit? No, I mean, I actually I spent a lot of my book advance initially. I paid for entries. So what, how that started was every Sunday I take really long loping walks around my neighborhood without my phone. And like, if somebody is there with me, like if I woke up with a date or like if a friend is around, I take them along. And at that point I had a boyfriend and I was speculating about this person that we both know who's like, He's got like this uh, nightlifey job as a writer, and I I've been friends with him for years, but I just don't understand what he does with his days. And I was talking to my then boyfriend about that. He's a cup. I think he's like over a decade older than I am, but he's like the coolest guy. And we've been friendly for years. We tried to date when we first met, didn't work out. Um, but he was good friends with my then boyfriend, and he, the writer and I were still friends. 
And I just didn't understand what this man did with his days, because he would write these pieces every so often, but otherwise you wouldn't really hear from him. And so we're loping past this park, McGorrick Park in Greenpoint. And I was and I was thinking about it and I said, I would love to know what he does, like on a day, any given day. And then I thought of the Virginia Woolf piece called Street Haunting, a, Lon- a London Adventure, which is all about this walk that Virginia Woolf takes like to buy a pencil. And there's this part of it where she says, she's walking around her city and she says, just like that, um, the shell covering falls away, just revealing an enormous eye, like when you're just by yourself and walking. And somehow that coalesced in like this 45 minute walk into enormous eye. And at the time I was editing at Rookie and writing my book and I had no time to take on anything else because Rookie was like a 12 hour day job and my book was even more so. But I wanted this thing. I wanted that. Suddenly I was like insatiably curious about the people that I admired. So I went home and I sent maybe 50 people a note saying, I'm starting this. Uh, I had five people on the first day. They were myself, the writer Jesse Miller Gordon, my friend Julian Escobedo Shepard, who is here with me writing tonight outside, Gia Tolentino, and the last one was Jenny Zhang of the recent book Sour Heart. Yeah, and it was on. That's a that's a pretty pretty powerful starting set. Yeah, so that's where we started, and we started on Valentine's Day in 2014, and we published them that Monday. And then I had intended from there to publish two a day, but it snowballed for the next few years. And I was publishing like five, six, seven from writers that I adored. I was really lucky to have gotten that kind of insight. I think it's a great document and I'm really lucky to have had that idea and to have people be receptive. Um, I wanted to back up to back to just for a minute, your career and how, Because what the one connection I wanted to to hear you describe was how you went from uh, the just the sheer amount of journalism that you had been writing to turning it into action. Like how did the how did the the idea for the book come about? How did the selling process work out? Um, how did how did it all happen? Well, there are a few answers to this. So the first time I was approached by, well, it all comes back to Rookie. When I was nineteen, Rookie launched and. On its launch day, Rookie is the website for Teenage Girls, started by Tavi Gevinson, in case anybody listening doesn't know. It's really great. At the time that it launched, I was 19, and I had submitted this essay about the Smiths and T-shirts way before it launched. And I got an email back like eight months later after having had the pitch accepted elsewhere. And the, and the response that I got was like, hey... We're ha- we're full on staff, but we want you to write this for our first day as our first like teen reader submission. And I was so excited, I, like I fell on the floor of my dorm room. I was just so stoked. And so I did that. And when Ricky launched, my piece was one of the three that came out that day. And from there, I was invited to like the staff launch party. And even though they were full on staff, I just came with like five pitches in my back pocket. And I, you know, just, you know, threw them at the people involved. And they were like, all right, all right. So that was how I got started writing. And then right after that, like not a week after that, 
the first time I was contacted by an agent was like, yeah, that week. And my, my dream since I was little, since as long as I can remember, I mean, when I was seven, I sent out a manuscript to like random house or some shit. Like, I'm not kidding you. Like my dream was to always write a book, but I knew then that I wasn't ready. So you knew when you were seven, I was, yeah, I knew when I was seven years old. No, at seven, I was all the way convinced that it was time, that it was my time. Um, but no. So when I was 19, I was like, this is a dream come true, but I don't feel ready for this Mm -hmm. yet. Graduated college, um, had been writing for rookie and a number of other places throughout. Started the next day at Buzzfeed, got poached by rookie to be a story editor there. And I ran, I co-managed Rookie's daily operations for a number of years. And part of that was writing an advice column and editing an advice column. So what that meant was that anywhere from like 50 to 200 advice letters a day would be going to my direct email inbox um, from teenagers and people in their 20s. And that meant a wild anthropological look at the what people wanted to be told was okay. And I had always said to myself that I would never write about sex, but when I looked at the ways that people had questions that they really wanted to feel safe about in terms of things like gender and consent, I felt equipped to deal with it. And so I, when I was 23, my creative partner and dream agent Dan Kirshen at ICM contacted me after there was this New York Times I think Sunday Styles feature about Rookie and about me as an editor and we got together it was like he's my creative partner through and through I love this man and we really figured it out together and I just I was like what about a book of essays and he was like yeah but what about this thing that you also do really well in a focused way And so we sold the book when I was 23. I wrote it at 24, you know, nights when I was also editing Rookie all day, every day, and running Enormous Eye and freelancing. And yeah, it came out last year when I was 25. Selling it was really interesting because I got to meet my hero. His name is Andy Ward. Do you know him? I don't, actually. Andy Ward is the nonfiction editor of Random House. Okay. Previously, yeah, previously, I believe was either, he was at GQ and Details when that was a thing. But this man is the best editor you could ever imagine. I used to listen to his long form podcast and like take notes by hand about how well he thought about editing. So yeah, I mean, like I met with Random House and I got to meet him, which was the best thing ever. Sold it to Grand Central ultimately. And then yeah, wrote it in like a year and a half. So it, it's interesting because, I mean, it, this makes a lot more sense now because I didn't realize that you were getting like all of the uh, the advice column submissions and, and questions right to your inbox because this this book really does read like advice to, uh, you know, there's a hundred different answers or a thousand different answers to a bunch of questions that, you know, some people might not even know that they have. And, and I've. I dug yeah. back into like all of your, your older writing online and everything. And, and a lot of your writing was very similar to that. I have had the immense privilege of getting to know people as they're getting to know themselves at younger ages. And when you're doing that, you have to be really cognizant of all the different ways it could go. 
And I don't know, I feel like that's true of my own life too. And that's just like a very basic tenet of respecting people. So I feel very lucky to have had that. Yeah. I mean, you're just like this open soul where you're, you're looking for, for, uh, ways to make everybody happy basically in the book use this example of one of your friends who complimented you because he was visiting all of his oldest friends and you were the only one that actually asked about how he was doing and cared so like how do you implement that in your writing when it's so it's like so direct and you're talking to other people is there a way that you're able to engage them well i think that i write first and foremost when i'm not writing advice based capacity to and for myself so I just try to think of like you know I'm not even really thinking when I'm writing if I'm doing it well I'm not there like I call it like the hand of God so like hopefully I'm not even there but when I'm writing when I do feel like it has to be of like particularly and pointedly in the service of someone else it's funny now I write in the context of like I'll write a fake advice question that I'm trying to answer. I go, what is the question I'm trying to answer with this piece? And I say, dear Amy Rose, and I'll write that down. Um, and then it makes it easier. But yeah, if I'm writing, if I'm writing just uh, wild style, I don't do that. But if it's something that needs like an answer or a point of view, that's something that I now do. I, I guess I've been conditioned that way. Um, I want to talk about while we're on this process of how conversational engaging your writing is, I want to talk about the language of it. So how is it, how did that voice, how did you develop this voice that you're writing in that seems like it's just coming straight out of your, your brain? I always want to write how I talk. My favorite writers do. I mean, like to varying degrees, I don't think that has to mean that you have to sound particularly like patrician or like, you know, slangy or dialectical. Like Patricia Highsmith sounds that way. She sounds like her. Dennis Johnson does. Like... You know, I had really good editors. I had editors who urged me not to develop my voice and instead to just write how I am. Um, yeah, and I think, and that is now what I try to encourage writers who, who I edit. Like, I, I want them to do that because the last thing I want to do is for anybody to fall into like a magazine voice or like a certain mode of speaking. I want it to feel like you are telling me a story as you would tell it to me if I'm sitting in front of you. So I had really smart editors who brought that out in me and, and luckily, you know, didn't try to tamp it down. Um, and I don't know that I could have. I, I, like, I don't know that I ever could have written another way. I don't know that I can. I so often try to be like professional or formal and it just doesn't work. It doesn't ring true. Um, so I guess like that. It's not a development. It's just... The one thing I will say about this is that when you develop a certain voice or you have a certain voice, there comes this weird internal pressure for me that goes, okay, write it in Amy Rose voice. And whenever I catch myself doing that, I I try to buck it as best I can. And why is that? Is it because you, in doing, in, in that act, you won't actually write like yourself? Yeah, because I think that's false. We're all changing all the time, and so there's no such thing as Amy Rose's voice. There's just me writing. How does so? How does that come through in the editing process? When you're going back through and revisiting the work that you've done, what are you looking to change in it? I'm not looking to change it. Well, when I'm looking back, because I wrote what I had to write at 
each particular and discrete time that I had to write it. But if I'm writing and I notice myself trying to fall into like the same like jovial or slangy pattern, just because it sounds like me, that's a huge problem. And so I have to like take a break and smoke a cigarette and reframe. So take a walk. Yeah, of course. Taking walks is the only way to write. Wait, you, I know you start, it's, I mean, I didn't know this before, but you started writing for Rookie when you were 19, but I mean, the readers of Rookie are, are typically around that age and younger. And, and now I feel like they're also older, but, um, you know, do you have to write like specifically for a younger audience? No, I mean, like I don't now and I didn't then. Um, I grew up with Rookie as a writer because I, that was like my main, I was also writing for Vice and like a few other outlets, but I felt at home at Rookie. And because I was 19, 20, when I was writing there, I became an editor there when I was 22. Um, I never felt a disconnect with it. I never felt like I was reaching people whom I didn't understand or that there was an age disconnect in that way. And I was also really, really cognizant of the younger end of our readers and what I might have liked to have heard, like not even a decade earlier, you know what I mean? Which I don't know if that would be as possible now. I think it would though, because we had plenty of contributors all over the age spectrum, but yeah, no, I never felt like I was like writing YA. I felt like I was well, just No, writing. I mean, not YA, but I mean, Tavi Gevinson is... Not to denigrate YA or anything. I think it's great. No, but... no, but but I mean, your, your boss, uh, you know, Tavi is your contemporary, right? Yeah, Tavi is, I believe, 21 now. At the time that she became my boss, she okay. was 15. That's it. So, yeah. Yes. And Kyle, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rookie, but, uh, you know, that is, I mean, it's just an amazing publication. But, uh, like, one of the reasons that it caught everybody's attention is because it was founded by somebody who was still in high school. Well, it was incredible for a lot of reasons, but that was definitely yeah. among them, for sure. That was the headline yeah. people went with. Yeah. yeah. No, it was really great. So from there, I was able to make um, a career in editing. Well, not even from there. Like, I, my editorial career started before Rookie at BuzzFeed. And that was a very interesting embracing experience. And from there, I've edited for a bunch of places and put out a book and continued to write. And it's funny because I'm the kind of writer who has, like, maybe three good essays in her a year I'm, I've never been like able to <laughs> produce that's, at that's the level no no I'm serious and like I've never and I'm fine with that um editing is really the thing that fuels my writing though and so I need to be able to do that but yeah I feel very lucky to have uh, been all over the place a little bit Hey, Jeff, guess what time it is? 9.23 p.m. It's advertising time. Oh, hell yeah. It's time to talk about vitamins. Yeah, let me tell you, the only time I really talk about vitamins is when my doctor tells me that I'm so vitamin D deficient that uh, it might actually warrant a trip to the emergency room. Your doctor hasn't actually said that, has he? No, but he did threaten uh, to put an IV in my arm the next time I was there to make sure that I had actually gone outside and gotten some sunlight. It must suck working in a cave. I work in a cave. There are no windows. Well, boy, do I have a solution for you. Uh, can I can I solve my problem in my cave, from my cave? You sure can. So if you go to takecareof.com, you can take a quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. You can literally say, I want more energy, I don't get enough sunlight, I'm sick all the time, and it'll give you your own daily vitamin recommendation. 
they'll send it to you in a nice customized package. And right now, thanks to the great audience that we have for writers who don't write, you can use offer code WRITE, W-R-I-T-E, to get 50% off your first month of Care Of. They don't even care that you live in a cave. Oh man, this is gonna be, do you think they have something that will allow me to avoid leafy greens entirely? I mean, I, I'm sure that they do, but I don't. Are we there yet? <laughs> Has science saved me from salads? They are expensive nowadays. After writing for, I mean, you had some like very like thinly veiled criticisms of some of the outlets that you've written for in the past in your book, but um, you know, is there kind of like uh, most of the outlets that you write for are kind of like the they didn't exist 20 years ago or something. Um, is that kind of intentional? Like, I, I guess my question is like, are you seeking these places out or do they just like feel like the right fit? Well, I don't know because like I'll write for Rolling Stone, I'll write for Enemy, I'll write for The Guardian. Um, but really, I think that I, the Vanguard is always more interesting, right? Like to have a thing that's brand new and to have a kind of writing there that is unique. I'm always going to be more invigorated by that. And that's what I've tried to base my editorial career around. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it does seem like, uh, you know, when you go out with some of these new outlets, you know, it's interesting because you have a knack for picking the places that will give you the same validation as writing for some of the older outlets, like, you know, the guardian or something. Um, so, I mean, is, is it like, I guess my question is like, do you have, the foresight of that or are these just places that you enjoy reading no no no. this is different so like give you is different than make give you the validation is like different than make the validation if i'm writing for a place i'm going to give it everything that i've got and i like to do that in tandem with a lot of other writers and editors who are similarly committed to making a new thing so i i've never been i grew up like, uh, on like a shitty used car lot in New Jersey. I've never had anything to lose, right? So all I can do is what I believe in. And I find that it's easier to believe in things as you make them than it is to fit into like magazine or newspaper voice. Is there any time, like, have you ever encountered a situation where that belief has come into question? Or like, have you, I guess, have you ever doubted yourself in your pursuit? Definitely. I mean, like, I've, I've taken bold swings that have not worked out. For most of 2016, uh, as I was getting ready for my book to come out, I, I quit Rookie to join this tech company as its editorial director, this international tech company, right? Because I wanted to learn how to run a business and how to be, like, an international, like, partner who can run a team of designers and developers. And that definitely bore fruit. Like, that was cool, but... It was also interesting. And so I think because I'm 26, uh, I'm able to make those kinds of really bold overtures toward different modes of this career and have it be like, oh, well, this isn't perfect, but I get what I'm taking from this and now I have to move right along. Does that make sense? You're, you're taking chances. Yeah, I love to take, I love making mistakes. I think more than anything, um, because that's how you go pro. That's how you do it. 
That's how you learn to trust yourself and what your standards are. And I pride myself on that. Fucking up is how you go pro. Pivot. So let's talk about the times where you've chosen not to try to fuck up. Uh, it's not quite as good as I had hoped, but there it is. It's out there. Hopefully it becomes one of the mistakes I look back fondly on. Um, <laughs> so one of the reasons we bring writers onto the show, aside from talking to them about their life and how they do what they do, is to talk about some stories that they've struggled to tell, uh, which, as we found out at the beginning of the, of the episode, is mostly to help me feel better about being an unproductive uh, writer. Oh, no, you're totally not. Here, check out this story. Totally. Look at, yeah. look at this thing that I wrote. Sure. Um, but no, so before, the, before we got on uh, the Zencaster free plug. Also, I, I do, I, I do want to interrupt, though, because it, just for Kyle's own you know, feelings, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily like write stories, but he, he has like an amazing career where he makes like these amazing videos and animations and, and it's like a different kind of storytelling. That so sounds I awesome. do just want to put that out there. Can we plug well, it? Kyle, where do we find it? <laughs> no, uh, let's plug for, it. No, no, it's fine. I work for a uh, massive faceless advertising agency. So I, I, I tell corporate stories, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for the, the free plug. I am a professional. Wait, creative. Jeff, that was really sweet. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it until just now, but, but it is, it is factual. You've gained a new appreciation. But anyways, so Amy Rose, you had emailed us a couple of options before the show, and I wanted to sort of leave it up to you to maybe tell more than one. Now that we've found ourselves with a few extra minutes, if you feel so inclined. Yeah, I'll tell you all about this one that is totally impossible. It's impossible, the whole thing is written, and yet it can never happen. It's about, you guys are not going to, okay, tell me if you believe me <laughs> when I say this, for starters. Be honest, be truthful. What if I told you that I had something called prosopagnosia, aka face blindness, where you can't recognize people that you know really well? What would you say to that? Um, I would be confused and on a level that was deeply disturbing but i can't exactly say why because i would be afraid that something similar could happen to me and i wouldn't realize it was happening i mean my first question would be what is that the, okay so here's the answer the answer is that not only can i not recognize my own face in the mirror but let's say i have a really good friend or a boyfriend or a family member who is let's say I'm not expecting you to see them and I'm, I'm in Midtown and they walk by me and maybe they even say hello and I look up at them and I can't recognize their face. It's a stranger. Everyone is a stranger. Do you mean in, in the sense that like it's like a brand new face for your memory or you just like everything is kind of amorphous? Like everything, every person looks the same. Really? But you can yeah. recognize like voices and, and that kind of thing? Voices are fine, and I can also focus on, like, one feature. Like, if you, Kyle, were to be wearing, like, a certain kind of glasses or had a certain kind of hair, I could focus on, like, those individual things. But, like, let's say you had brown hair and, like, normal glasses, like a lot of people do. So that wouldn't really be helpful. So it has to get more and more specific. I can focus pinpointed on a specific feature. But, like, okay. So let's say you spend the time that you're 17 until the time that you're 26 living in New York, right? And you spend a life here and you're in nightlife and you're writing and you're doing this and doing that. 
And let's say that there's a certain kind of New York lifestyle that people forget each other's names a lot and are jerks. You never wanted to do that, but it's literally how your brain... I, I don't know what my own face looks like and I never will, I don't think. Um, and I, I've had best friends wear a hat and I don't recognize them. I was on a date the other night and... I went to smoke a cigarette and I came back and I didn't recognize him. And so he was really affronted and he left. Like it's that level. Um, so, uh, so people Oops. don't believe you though. Cause you can't bring that up at 2am in bars and they're like, Amy Rose. And you're like, yeah. So my whole, a lot of my life has been like learning how to like fake it, how to, how to recognize you and suss out who you are. Mostly it's just getting you to like speak a little more. Or, like, I'll be like, how have you been? Blah, blah, blah. Like, so I can, like, contextualize you with what I know. But, yeah, so I can't I can't see people's faces. But I think that people don't believe that at all. Now, how does that affect, like, the way that you, for example, writing in, in the way that you describe people's features? Well, so what I mentioned is that I can, I, what I have to do is, like, pinpoint a feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to know them really well through, like, one part of their face or affect. Um, and then if that changes, like, I, I'll never forget the time that, yeah, my best friend was wearing a hat over, like, her dyed hair. And I couldn't recognize her. My best friend of, like, four years. So it's that. So, it, but, like, it's it's awful because it sounds like some fucking New York excuse, right? Of, like, oh, sorry, you're just not important to me. Um <laughs> But no, like that's what it is and what it did. Like no, I have a, I have a, a condition and it's called face blindness. Right, but you try that. Do you try fucking explaining that at two a.m. at a bar? Come on, I can't even. I'm still trying to grapple with the fact that it's even possible because so much of daily interaction is based on recognition. You find ways. You find other ways. No. Well, I was just trying. Like I was working backwards through the last three hours of my life, and if I hadn't like minute to minute just walking by people in the hallway at the office where I work I wouldn't be able to to confidently interact with them no that it's it's actually different me. like if it's a contained place like hallway at the office at work like you kind of know who you're going to see so you can tell who's the blonde you can tell who the person is who walks okay, with a shuffle okay. you know what I mean but yeah. let's but let's say that person comes up to you six hours later off of your subway stop at home mm. I would not be able to do that I would not be able to place that person well, let's talk about the date example where you, you go out to smoke a cigarette and you go back to find your date. Is he sitting at a table or I'm sorry, is he or she sitting at a table or are they at the bar? In that case, it was a he and we were at a nightclub, like this huge, I think it was like an opening of a fashion week party. And so it's just, it's a lot of like tall, handsome, brown haired dudes swanning around. You know what I mean? And I hadn't been dating him for very long. I think it had been like a month. And so I didn't really have, and he's very, I don't know, like there were a lot of attractive brown haired people there. Like, what am I going to do with that? So he said that I like rushed past him, like not seeing him and he didn't know about this. So he was like really offended, Mm -hmm. but you know, what am I going to do? You said that you already had like this story written and ready to go. Yeah. And so it, I mean, why, why is that something that you can't really put out there? Well, because people, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like no one would, the main thing with this is like, A, not wanting to make people feel uncomfortable or insignificant. And also like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, 
it's difficult. It's difficult. And I'm talking about all of this in it, but it's just strange. Yeah. Do you, do you think that people can like benefit from reading something like this? So no, no, it's like my apologia to the whole world. Wait, wait. Yes, absolutely. Cause I think this is, I think, so the underlying assumption here is that no one will believe you, but I believe you. I mean, not at the very least because you're here talking to us about it and it seems like something that you're struggling with, but also because it seems entirely possible and like it would be devastating to have. Well, yeah. I mean, like I've had, I've been able to talk about it with some people. Like I had this one fiance, my second fiance, uh, ask a question that no one had ever asked me because I hadn't really told anyone about this. And he said, wait, 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 wait. draw the way that you look draw the way that you think that you look which is what I do every day when I put on makeup like I dyed my hair bleach blonde I put on fake eyelashes I do a full face of makeup every day so I can it's like a paint by numbers like I need to know somehow how I look right but he he asked me to just like draw how I looked and I did it was like you know 1am we're hanging out and I showed him what I came up with and he fell out laughing not in a mean way but he did and he and I was like, what, 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 what? what does it look like? What do I look like? And he went, you look like the face on Mars with Ramon's hair. So the face on Mars is like this one particular crater on Mars. And it, and it looks like a face. And I had drawn like Joey Ramon hair on it. But the best part was, and I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, that he showed me the crater and I was like, yeah, it's my face. But the best part was a year later... I was like reading on the couch with my feet in some other guy's face and his feet were in mine. I was reading this Ben Lerner book called 1004. And he taught... It's sitting on my... Do you know that book? I haven't read it yet, but it's sitting on my desk. Oh, it's so wonderful. You'll see this in it. So that book includes a part that is about being an editor and being a prosopagnosiac, a face-blind person. And he says, the features dematerialize into an effect. And it's like being able to pick out certain parts of a sentence and certain parts of like the overall paragraph and, and seeing the features as the broader whole. It gets like a kind of autonomy. And then he includes, he incorporates, like he puts in line a picture of the face on Mars. And I broke out and I threw my limbs all over the place. Just like, what the, f- what? Like, so I think it might be common for prosopagnosiacs to be editors who also are on Mars. I'm not sure, but yeah. The story that you were, you were telling about uh, your, your fiance asking you to draw your own face, it reminds me so much of Raymond Carver's Cathedral. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. And tell me why. Uh, yeah, tell 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 people what the story is for those uh, listeners okay, so, who may not. So know Raymond Carver, <laughs> Raymond Carver uh, wrote this story called Cathedral. I think in the '60s about a guy who is in like watching TV. It was like some random documentary about churches and cathedrals with a guy who was blind, and uh, you know he tried to describe what the cathedral looked like, and the blind guy like wasn't getting it. So then he takes like a pencil on a uh, shopping bag, like the brown bag, and he puts the uh, pencil in the blind guy's hand and he puts his hand on his, on, on the blind man's hand and, and actually draws what the cathedral looks like on the bag so yeah. this guy can yeah. like, get a sense. And in asking me why I, it reminds me of, of you and your story is, is 
more about like perspective than anything because like to me that 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 story cathedral always meant that you know like the 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 shape of the cathedral and what they drew didn't actually matter so much as like the fact that he was willing to try and do that with this person that yeah you know he was having this like relationship with yeah and i really love that he asked me to do that because like it could come off as like oh well what do you think you look like this is a dove commercial you're so beautiful but it wasn't that it was like no really try and show me how it is for you and I was a crater I was a crater with maroon's hair um so that That, was nice that's 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 a beautiful story that's really I thought it was really good yeah Yeah. so I don't know that's always given me a lot of confidence though in being a I do like you know, here and there, I do a beauty column for Jezebel. I've done a long-standing number. I started BuzzFeed's beauty coverage. I have always felt really confident in like putting on makeup because I know what it's like to fill in the blanks, and that's all that I'm doing when I put on makeup. I just want to know what I look like to some extent. I mean, these are all incredible details. I, this is a this is a moment where I want to repeat back. Like, I want to live inside your brain for that moment. I would, so I would read that. Well, I mean, I'll send you, I'll send you the essay. It's, um, it goes into a lot of things. I mean, let me pull it up. It's, it's, it's all written. It's called, of course, how do I look? Duh. Um, (laughs) 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 But it's about also like, it's about other famous press effect news acts, like Chuck Close, the visual artist who draw faces and photographs them in order to see them. Um, Jane Goodall is one and she always says, here's her thing about it. She says, which is the thing that I adopted. And when I read her, I read her essay or memoir or something, she said, I usually make up for it by pretending to recognize everybody. And then if they say, but we haven't met before, I say, well, you look just like somebody I know. You have to do something, but there's nothing you can do about it. You have to do something, but there's nothing you can do about it is, is the way. That's, that's it. So you just try to be polite because it's not on other people that, like, you can't see their face. You just have to make them feel okay, right? Like, so every, every place, every face that I see is blank. Every, everything every is everything. Every face is new. Yeah. Well, no, it's all, it's, it, there's just not, which is cool because then just everyone's hot, but, <laughs> which is nice, but... <laughs> Can I? Does Man, it, you're you're definitely a half glass full girl, huh? <laughs> half, is it half glass full? That sounds like it's, a I think the glass glass, glass half full. My, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my dyslexia. Half glass full is probably a different thing, though. There's a, I'm sure there's a connection there. Um, does it apply to art? Yes, and then it applies to places too. Like, okay, it applies to art. It's not like my favorite pieces are ones that. Hmm. How do I say this? I'm not sure. Let me start with places and go from there. Places wise. So I've lived in New York for nine years since I was 17. And I, for maybe six of those years, had the same subway stop where I would, where I lived. I would go to work and go wherever and get off at the subway stop. And I would walk very confidently in the wrong direction for a couple blocks before I would have to then realize. And that still happens all the time. Like it happens with the world. Like I don't know what the world space looks like. Um, and I charge through it like I do, but I don't. Um, art wise, I'm able to fix in place specific works of art because they can't look like anything else. Like there's no, 
commonality that they'll necessarily have. So if I choose to love something like that array of colors and like shapes is different than like a human face. Human faces are like largely similar. Similar, like they are all the same. <laughs> I mean, not to. I'm not. I'm biased, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But works of art are a little different, and that they can be just a number of things, and that. Uh, and voice. So are voices distinct as well? Is it per? Is it solely visual? I rely on voices. Okay. I rely on voices, manner, and clothing. So voices. Yeah. So like, if I if I see you, like, let's say that I knew you two, um, and and you two came up to me on the street, and we knew each other really well. Um, I would try to get you talking. I would say, "Oh my God, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. How have you been? How was your day?" And you would speak and tell me a little bit, and then I would know. I just try to get everybody talking. Hmm. So this this brings a whole new meaning to some of the stuff I read in your book. So I mean, all of it still applies without you know any of this situational uh, stuff going on, but but this also like brings like another layer to that. Well, I think it's a gift, honestly. Like I, I I'm very lucky to have it. Because it's made me, I don't know, do you ever think about like the way that you can separate pathology from personality or vice versa, like the way that you can't? I don't know if this is what fed this. I don't know if like it isn't. I just know that they're part of me, both. And and I can't say one is, there's a causality there. I'm just happy with it. I'm just happy with what worked out that way. I love to think about things like that. And I think this is one whether or not you apply like a causal a causal relationship to it it's definitely fun to think about how it affects um the things that you do yeah i don't know i don't know like i'd rather not almost in some way not not no like okay yeah like i don't know because if i if i were to go down that path and think like, okay, what part of it is prospectusia and what part of it is like, like I also have ADHD, like what part of like my ADHD, blah, blah, like, okay, cool, cool, cool. But like, I would just prefer to bop around the world in the weird way that I do it and be grateful that I'm able. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? eventually it turns into like a butterfly flapped its wings and then, you know, we saw Donald Trump become president. Oh my God. <laughs> How does it become that? <laughs> well, that's that's what that's what I'm getting at is that like if you really wanted to follow this thing, then like you could really like you know lead up to whatever you can conceive of. Yeah, I'm romantically in love with the fact that we're all more complicated than that. I see. I like I the reason I I like that sort of thought experiment is because I like to like one of my favorite thought experiments when I'm wondering how I got to where I am and. Uh, why I don't have six-pack abs, for instance. It's like, I think about who I'd like to be. I can't tell, by the way. And who I am. You did pick up on the fact that I have glasses, though, which is incredible. I mean, you're, you have a podcast and you live in Astoria. It's educated <laughs> guess. You're a psychic. You're <laughs> to be, to be clear, I do not have glasses. Uh, but no, I think it's... I think it's... it's uh, I think for me, it's helpful to think about who I am and how I might have gotten here so that I 
I'm more aware of how I'd like to change going forward, like who I'd like to become. You you talk in the book about um, what is it? Your small small deluxe uh, small deluxe yes uh i have a version of myself that is who i'd like to become probably five years ten years from now that is exactly like your small deluxe we should tell listeners what that is um why don't would you mind explaining it for us oh my gosh i mean it was hard enough to write it no no no. i mean because it's so it's so close to myself so small deluxe is the best version of myself and when i'm bugging out or when i'm thinking like god you're being dumb or whatever I think what would small deluxe do? And small deluxe is a person who has braces not to fix her teeth, but because she's so fashionable. She is always in on the joke, but never making it at somebody else's expense. She's just like the best version of me. So I think, okay, be small deluxe, be small deluxe. And when you think that, it's very easy to be that. Is that not the case for you? Uh, I think it's it's much to the same effect, but maybe a different method. Because I think about who I wish I was. Tell me about him. I guess that's what it is. I, I mean, he's just uh, it, it. It comes into play a lot in my work relationships because I do have a job that is creative in nature, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you have this, but it's very hard. Like I, I'm an editor and animator, and I put a lot of time into the things that I do, and most of my job is getting feedback on those things from people who are not creatives themselves and to have oh, someone Jesus, come through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's always been a struggle for me uh, to bite my tongue in situations like that and just listen to people who I know are right with feedback that I know is relevant. Uh, How do you know? <laughs> because everyone has something useful to tell you about what you've made, not whether always. or not you agree with it. Huh? Not always. But go on, uh, this go is on. How, this, is, this is how I rationalize. So even if even if you happen to disagree or, if it's that, for instance, the dumbest possible thing you've heard that day, um, it does highlight either something you could be clearer about or something you maybe want to shy away from. Um, everyone has something to contribute, whether or not they're meaning to contribute the thing that they eventually do. And so That's very generous. That's cool. A, yeah, a lot of my internal work in this sense is trying to to, to be as magnanimous as possible and give people the benefit of the doubt and also just be a better editor, a better animator, a better storyteller. And that's who my better me is. Now you're my small deluxe. All aspects of no, 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 no. Now you're actually my small deluxe. Like that was the biggest thing I've heard all day. Um, I mean, I, so it's been a long process and it doesn't always work. Sometimes, you know, there are those people who you work with who I'm sure you you know, as a writer that just pick up on the one thing it's insecurity when it comes down to it. Right. And they pick up on the one thing you don't want anyone to see and they hone in on it and they're right. And it hurts for them to be right. And that's, that's the, the part that I've been working the most on. So, you know what, that's like, what I think introspection is. I don't know. I think there's a way to do that with great love. And I think that that's how I try to edit is to pick up on that thing, but pick up on it with like immense love and care and say, how do you feel about that? And how can we do it from there? Which I know is a different relationship when you're editing a piece, but those are typically the points where I feel the most kindness and like, I feel they're the most transitional. I don't know. I think that those are lovely. And yeah, I get that it's a different, I'm going to have to think about this. This is very cool. Thank you for telling me. No, and I think that's, so that's like, I wish everyone had your understanding, your level of, emotional capacity for the work that they're dealing with 
not everyone in my experience is so gentle and that's well if you can't see physical features you pick up on an emotional ones right like the right? power the power of podcasting yeah. <laughs> yeah. so uh so where can our our listeners find you online I mean, you can always check out amyrospiegel.com, Twitter, I'm at Amy Rosary. A DJ made that for me at 5 a.m. at 19 because an editor at the time was like, you gotta got, you gotta got Twitter. I was like, I do gotta got Twitter. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's Amy Rosary at Twitter. And then my Instagram is very much so. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was Amy Rose Spiegel's episode of Writers Who Don't Write. You can find her online at amyrosespiegel.com. That's A-M-Y-R-O-S-E-S-P-I-E-G-E-L or Amy Rosary on Twitter. You can find us online at www.podcast.com or at thepodglomerate.com slash writers who don't write. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at www.podcast. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram more or less the same handles for each uh please share the show we don't do any kind of advertising we don't pay for anything we don't you know market or do any pr or anything so the only way that we have growing the show is for you to share with your friends uh that you think might enjoy it uh you can also review the show on apple podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts uh, you, the music that you heard at the top and the bottom of the hour is from ryan dan of holland patent public library he is amazing. You should check him out online at hollandpatentpubliclibrary.com. The music that you heard in the middle of the show is from Ben Sound. You can find him online at bensound.com. We'll be back in two weeks with a very special guest named Andy Weir. Maybe you've heard of him or his book slash movie, The Martian. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Some of you have been uh, really, really looking for genre fiction on the show and asking specifically for sci-fi and fantasy so oh, have they? uh-huh and this is a gift for all of you uh-huh. so shoot us a tweet and say thank you you've been keeping this feedback from me jeff it's literally all public facing online you've been hiding twitter from my phone uh and we have a bunch of other really amazing uh sci-fi writers and fantasy writers and just general writers coming up So make sure to uh, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, We have a newsletter that is very seldom used at tinyletter.com slash podcast. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Podglomerate, a sonic universe.